Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you once again. Here we are uh, doing our Revelation study one more time. Hope you guys have been enjoying it. We're kind of really getting into the thick of things about the, the middle of the tribulation period. We're going to be picking up with Revelation chapter 12 today. Uh, I really really wanted to do 12, 13, and 14, just to kind of get a big bite of it and and move on a little bit more quickly. But the more that I spent time in uh, studying for this and getting prepared for this, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to just focus on chapter 12 today. So that is exactly what we're going to do. Hope you don't mind. We're going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but it is going to be for such a very special purpose. You'll see by the end of this, and in fact, it is my prayer and it is my hope that you're going to be praising by the end of this. The reason why the Holy Spirit wants us to dwell on Revelation chapter 12 today. Um, if you have your Bibles, your notes, your, your pens, your pencils, your notepads, journals, whatever it is, get that real quick, get that quickly. Come back, meet with me right here in just a couple of seconds. Get prepared because you're not going to want to miss what God has in store for you this evening. So thank you once again for joining with us, joining with us online. This is a pre-recorded Bible study. In fact, we are going to even, because of sake of time, we're even going to be able to go even a little deeper, okay, no, probably a lot deeper in our Bible study at the church tonight at 6.30. We're also going to do some discussion with that and some little bit of a, a small group feel with that. Um, but we're going to go deep. We're going to go really, really deep with it today, but we're going to go even deeper tonight. If you can make an outcome, be a part of that uh, tonight at 6.30. I promise you, you will be blessed. You will be very blessed. But we look forward to seeing you any way that we can, whether it's here online or whether it's um, in face-to-face -face in the Bible study tonight at 6.30 at the church. Any way you can, get a hold of this. Get a hold of God's Word. Get a hold of, of what He's wanting to tell you because, hey, the times are perilous. The times are crazy. Um, but God, I know, not only has a plan, but I also believe he's working that plan out. I also believe that with that working, he's speaking. He is speaking to his church. He's speaking to his believers. He's speaking to those that are hanging on every word he says. He's speaking to those that has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. He is moving right now. There is revival breaking out. There is revival springing up here in the States, and I'm excited about what the Holy Spirit is doing, excited about the direction God is taking us, even though even though we're, we're facing some, some uncertain times, I believe that God has a certain plan for us. So if you have your Bible, Revelation chapter 12, before we get into it, let's pray. Let's come together and let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. We, we are so, so enamored by the glory and the presence and the love and the grace and the power and the mercy that you have and that you are. Lord, I want to thank you that you are renewing in our hearts just a wonder and an amazement of who you are. Father, I pray that me and anybody listening, anybody watching, I pray that we never, ever get to the point where we stop being amazed by your amazing grace. Father, we give you glory, and I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, you would reach out, you would touch all of those that are hungry and thirsty for your righteousness, that you would fill them up this evening. Fill them up. Maybe it's the next day or the next day that they're getting a chance to watch this. Fill their empty vessels up to an overflowing, Father. I pray for an overflowing presence to be in their heart. I pray that an abundance of your glory and your love would, would cover them, guide them, that it, that it would be with them in a very special way. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We take you at your word that we are blessed because we are reading this book today. Father, we thank you. I pray that you touch each and every one, maybe those that are sick, those that are, are sick in their body, touch those bodies, those that are not at peace. God, I pray that you give them peace, peace of mind, peace of heart, peace, peace down deep inside of them. Give them a touch of your glory. Give them, Father, an amazing grace in a real and tangible way today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, we love you, we worship, we praise. And everybody said, Amen. That's right. Loud and proud right wherever you're at. Say amen because so let it be done by God's glorious grace and power. All right, without further ado, let's jump on into the book of Revelation chapter 12. Hold on. There's going to be a lot of symbolism here. 12, 13, 14. Um, a lot of symbolism in these three chapters. That's another reason why I feel like maybe God wants us just to stop at 12 and really really dive into that before we get into 13 and 14 which does have a lot of symbolism and and i don't want you to get so caught up and so lost in the symbols that you miss the the the, the main meaning behind all of this um the main meaning of revelation don't get so caught up in in all of the, the, the horns and the beast and the crowns and, and uh, the, there's a lady, there's a dragons, there, there's a child, there's, there's all this kind of stuff that's going to be going on. Beasts coming from the sea, from the land, all this stuff that's going to be happening in the next few chapters. So let's just take an opportunity right now and about yeah, a little over the middle of the book of Revelation and let's give God a praise break and you'll see what I'm talking about as we read this chapter. All right, Revelation chapter 12. I may stop reading here and there and uh, just kind of expound a little bit on maybe the meaning of what these verses are, and then we're going to go into the bigger picture and the bigger meaning to all of this. Revelation chapter 12. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. Now, we've got to stop right there because you have to remember in Revelation chapter 11, it is, um, it, it's a beginning, it's, it's actually it's an interlude to the beginning 
of the last half of uh, the, the three and a half years or the seven years of tribulation. It's, it's the beginning of the last three and a half years. It's a time in which the two witnesses that's going to lead in a, a very powerful evangelistic effort uh, in the earth. They, they spring up, they rise up, and, and they come to, uh, to an authority and a power to lead this evangelistic effort along with the 144,000. And so basically what I want you to get is while, yes, there is chaos in the earth, there's also uh, a move of the Spirit of God. There's also a, a type of revival that is really happening. Though there is chaos in what seems to be, can we quote from Genesis chapter 1, what seems to be void and formlessness and darkness that is covering the world, yet there is a light that is shining. That light is, is moving forward and the darkness is not comprehending it. So uh, here we, we are at the end of that and, and at the end of chapter 11, um, or at the beginning of that, I'm sorry, at the beginning of the three and a half years and at the end of chapter 11, um, we see that John gets this vision of the temple of God being opened before him. And as it's opened before him, he sees the Ark of the Covenant of God's temple. I wish I had time to teach you all there is to know about the Ark of the Covenant, or at least all I know about the Ark of the Covenant, which probably isn't just uh, as much as I should know. But I wish I had time to teach you about the Ark of the Covenant. We actually are going to go over it a little bit um, on a Sunday morning in the very near future. But here we have John seeing the holy temple of God, the God sitting on his throne in this temple. And that throne kind of representing the Ark of the Covenant being the fact that God himself is seated upon the mercy seat and that is the place in which the atonement takes place through the blood of the sacrifice in the the very important day of Jewish of the Jewish calendar the day of atonement that through the atonement and the blood of the sacrifice of the lamb God meets with his people and he rolls their sin away for another year but it is not by coincidence that we have here this this picture, this vivid picture of the Holy Ark of the Covenant in God's holy temple as God sitting on his throne before that, uh, that it is from there John sees this sign in heaven. Sign meaning something is going to be pointing to something that's about to happen, that there's, there's, this, there's this sign, there's this finger pointing, if you will, that something is about to take place, something that grabs John's attention, maybe even for a second pulls his head away from this beautiful picture of the temple, and he sees this wondrous sign appearing in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve Stars. Now, just to stop right there, as, as best as, as my studies can tell, uh, that this most likely represents Israel. This most likely represents Israel being uh, the, the first, if you will, bride of God, the first, first one that he has chosen, kind of like Song of Solomon in, the, in that book and in that, that picture, that this is the first 
bride, if you will, of, of God. And this is, this is a woman that he has chosen from that woman to give birth to someone extremely special. Uh, there's two or three things that we can point at to see that probably this is a symbol of Israel. First of all, uh, it says that she's clothed with the sun. That sun most likely representing the glory of God himself. Um, in fact, there's two or three times in Revelation itself that says when you see Christ, you see his face shining like the sun. So that even though the Messiah has been rejected by them at the, the first time that he came, he's still, they are still his special chosen people, and he is still choosing to, to cover them and clothe them as his own. Not only that, but we're also talking about this new move that's happening to God's original covenant people, Israel, that there's this revival springing up in Israel due to the 144,000 witnesses and also due to the two witnesses that are, are um, doing miraculous things and signs and wonders and leading an evangelistic effort uh, there in Israel that we probably see a, a big revival happening. In fact, not just probably, the scripture in fact tells us in the book of Revelation that this will result into a number that is, that is uh, monstrous and monumental in number, that there's going to be a large number of people, Jews and Gentiles, that's going to come out of this revival so here they are clothed by the sun, most likely Israel being the fact that the favor of God is upon them in this, in this day, in this time. It says the moon being under her feet. And uh, most likely some Bible scholars point to the fact that, that this here in the fertile crescent and in the cradle of this civilization that they're being established and have been and will be reestablished that this is where they are going to reign. This is where the, the Israel's uh, prime land is, and it's known as that fertile crescent area or the, the land of the moon. Um, so anyways, it's under her feet, and on her head, were gar were, head was a garland of 12 stars. Uh, this garland of 12 stars probably represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, kind of points back to maybe the, the, the vision that Joseph had whenever that he was had a dream and a vision that the stars kind of bowed down before him, being maybe the 12 stars there of Israel. Okay, here we go, moving on. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. This again points back to Genesis, when Genesis chapter 3, when Eve and Adam had, had fallen and the curse that was laid upon Eve was that in birth, in, in, in pain, she will give birth. And now this Israel being a type and a shadow of, of a woman before God giving birth to the Son of God. Of course, we know that Christ came through the bloodline and the covenant bloodline of Israel, of God's chosen people there. And in pain, he was delivered which could also represent a good point to the fact that, uh, number one, it, they could not hardly swallow him. That they could not hardly take him for the pain that was, that was there around trying to grasp the fact that he was the Messiah and the pain that was caused through the land who there was actually 
while, while Christ was walking on the earth, there was actually a splitting. Uh, Jesus and Christ himself said that. He said that uh, he came, you know, in, in such a way that, that there was going to be a division, actually, because of him. That some would believe and some would not, and there would be a hard line drawn in the sand. Either you would believe or, or you would not. And there was a lot of pain there. Even in the days where he prophesied, where there was a prophecy that says that there would be weeping and wailing at that time and such pain as all of the, the males that were two years old and under that were born about that time had died due to a decree. So there was just a lot of pain there um, that most likely could represent Israel and, and also being the child representing Christ. And uh, we'll see how that's going to play in a, in a little bit later in this chapter. Okay. Um, then after that, we have verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems, on the heads. Notice that it's on the heads, but not necessarily on the horns. Let's stop there because we're about to get into something uh, really even deeper than that in the next couple of verses. But so uh, verse three, another sign, hold this fiery and this great red dragon. Um, most scholars are pointing to the fact that this represents Satan himself. Um, we know that, that it actually tells us a little later that he's called that old serpent or the serpent of old called the devil Satan who would try to deceive the whole world is found in verse nine, just a few verses after this. So this represents Satan. This represents the fact that he is, is doing everything he can to oppose the work, the will, the way, the plans of God. He's doing everything he can to oppose this. Obviously, that's from this has been working for a long, long time, and we may go over just a little bit of that in a second. But he is he's he's poised and he's ready. If when you read to do a a really nasty work with the woman giving birth, as if she's in a position of being. Um, being able to be taken advantage of because she's using all of her strength here to give birth to, to this child and Satan tries to get in position to oppose the plan and the works of God. But he not only is Satan, but he has also seven heads. Now, again, don't get so caught up and don't get so lost in maybe exactly what every single head may be. Just kind of get a bigger picture, and what we feel like the bigger picture is that the, is that there have been uh, maybe seven worldly empires that his hand has directly been involved in, and those are the ones that have had crowns that they've he's ruled through them in certain ways, in certain times, in certain seasons, much like the visions of Daniel and what Daniel saw with the visions and the beasts that he had seen. And then it points, obviously, to this, this um, next chapter. We're going to see beasts that, that directly represent and resemble what Daniel had already seen. But here, this serpent, this fiery dragon, has, has seven heads on those heads, or seven crowns, 
most likely representing seven prior kingdoms or world orders or em empirical systems that he has had a direct hand in ruling. And um, then from there, there are ten horns that are extending out from that. The Bible does not say that every head has a horn coming from it or exactly the, the, the perfect picture doesn't exactly say that. We just know that from him there is seven horns that are protruding out. Oh, I'm sorry, ten horns that are protruding out. And from those ten horns, they don't have crowns as of yet, which most likely means that they are some futuristic, uh, maybe near future, maybe far future uh, from today, um, nations that are going to be under the influence of the Antichrist, probably sooner rather than later. But these ten nations or uh, ten powers of the world that will kind of come together. Daniel actually in chapter 7 sees a beast with ten horns and from the ten horns a little horn pops up and from that little horn it has a mouth and a face and, and basically gets crowned in a way that probably meaning and speaking of the fact that an antichrist uh, will, will come out of this group of ten nations some Bible scholars say maybe a, a newly reordered Roman Empire, something that represents the old Roman Empire, but basically we know that there's going to be some kind of world order with ten powers, and from that, those ten powers, the Antichrist will, will rise from there. Um, so don't get caught up in, is it this country, that country, is it this or that, is it here or is it there? Don't get so caught up in that and maybe someone who's a way way smarter than I am can straighten me out on that but I try not to get so caught up in that but just get caught up in the picture that it, it, at a certain time maybe very very soon there's going to be a uniting of some nations that are going to come together and that they are going to sternly and strongly begin ruling the world in a sense that uh, they're also going to need someone that will rise up in that rank, in those ranks within that system that's going to basically decree and declare that he in some way will become leader and from there um, there's going to be a move of the building of the kingdom of Satan on this earth. Okay, so from there, from that sign of this fiery red dragon, we see chapter, or I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 4, we see that his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon who stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. I want to stop right there for just a second. We'll get, get going even further in just a second. But let's stop right there. This is how we can kind of see some pieces of, uh, of Israel being the woman because that's where Jesus had come out of or come from. That's his, at least part of his bloodline being the, the, the maternal part. And so as she is about to give birth, here is the fiery red dragon that is there to catch him as he comes out. 
in trying to stop this will and this work and this plan um, that, that the enemy is trying to, to oppose um, God's word, God's will, God's plan being done. And as that is happening, it says that uh, this did not work for all of a sudden she, she did bear this child and he then began to rule. So what we know of is, is Jesus, of course, being that child, the, the work of the enemy did not work in his life. Um, it, his plan did not take root. It did not take place. Uh, he was overcome by the way that Christ lived his life and died for us and rose again from the dead. And then we know literally in Scripture that just that days after his resurrection, he gathers all of his disciples and then he, after giving some last words and last commands and last promises, like you're going to receive power when I give you this Holy Spirit, then he does what? He ascends into heaven. Or he's caught up in this phrase. He's caught up to God and his throne. And now he's ruling with a rod of iron, which kind of reminds me of the prophecy in Isaiah that says that upon him, upon his shoulders, that the governments will rest, okay? Um, so, so we, again, we got a pretty clear picture in my point of view, in my opinion, pretty clear picture of who these are. Now, let's move on to verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days, just shy of three and a half years, or right at that three and a half year mark. Um, so basically, what we have here, if you're looking at the eschatology of this, is this is now the beginning of the great tribulation what we know of as in Revelation as the third woe um, or this last now group or section of judgments or bowls or vials that are going to be poured out in earth. At the same time all of this is going to be happening, we're also going to read here in just a minute how Satan himself is going to be on a rampage in the earth so you've got a lot of stuff happening or about to happen here in the earth and so with that we go all the way back to Matthew chapter 24 where there is the promise by or, or the maybe instructions if you will by Christ telling his Jewish brethren telling his people that um, at a certain time that you see the the desolation of the abomination or abomination of the desolation there you're going to have to flee to the hills uh, in fact uh, this word uses flee or flight um, like as in they're going to be uh, flying with on eagles wings we're going to read that here in just a little bit but uh, he said so, so flee or be woman flee to the wilderness just as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 you need to make sure that you're that you flee in that day that you see this uh, desolation beginning to take place in the temple that's going to be rebuilt in Israel that it was that is supposed to be set back up and rebuilt so that they can reinstate worship back to God uh, 
the God, the living God, the God of Israel, the Antichrist who seems to want to help them out with that is mostly only doing so so that at some point in time he can set up his throne there and declare himself as God, which there goes the, the, desola the desolation there. And so as he desecrates the temple, he says about at around that same time, guys, get out of town, flee. So he's telling his people there that are, are in Israel, in Jerusalem, in that area, flee, head to the hills, get out of there. But there's also a promise that as you get out of there, he's going to take care of them. It says that he will feed them, he will be with them, take, he will take care of them for the last 300 or last uh, 1,260 1, days, last three and a half years. He said, get out of there, but I'm going to take care of you. First of all, we, we give God praise that he goes before us to work his plan out, no matter how hard the enemy tries to oppose that plan. He's already gone ahead of that. He already knows how to handle the, the opposition of the enemy. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so we have to learn to trust him in his plan, in his word, in his will, in his way. Trust him in that and follow and obey in that command to, to do exactly as he says. And if you do so, you will be taken care of now and in anything future that's going to be happening. All right. So the woman flees into the wilderness where she said there's a place prepared for her. God takes care of her. <clears throat> now, just touching back real quick before we move on, because it's going to talk about a great war in heaven. He says that this dragon took his tail and drew out a thou or one third of the stars from, from the heavens. That's going to lead into what we're going to talk about in just a, next here about there's this holy war that's going to break out in heaven. Um, and some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, I already thought that there was a war in heaven, but we'll cover that here in just a second. So as the, as the Israel flees into the wilderness, as they're taken care of, just John is seeing this picture kind of as all of that is taking place, there is this war breaking out in heaven, almost like he's watching this sign, and the next thing you know, he sees this commotion, and he turns and he looks, and now this red dragon and the third of his stars or angels are now warring against God and his angels. Verse 7, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. I don't know about you, but in my Bible, that's highlighted. But they did not prevail. Maybe you need to, I'm just, nah, I'm just gonna stop. I'm gonna give you a few seconds, highlight that, circle it, put a star beside it, write it down in your journal, tattoo it on your forehead so that you can read it in the mirror every time you feel oppressed by the enemy, whatever you get, just do it. Here, break, do it. Okay, hopefully maybe you've done that or you are doing that. Take that break, do that. That is so important because the enemy does everything he can to position himself in a way that he comes between you and the works of God or you and God himself to, to be the accuser, to be the oppressor, to do everything he can to get you to not believe the word of God just as he did 
back in Genesis in the garden when he got Adam and Eve to not believe the true and the truth of the word of God. Enemy tries so hard to get you to do that, but you need to circle this, highlight it, remember it, sing it, memorize it, whatever you got to do. They, the, the dragon did not prevail. Verse 8, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So that the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, we'll stop right there for just a second. Um, just theologically speaking, that's a lot to wrap your head around because we, we try to get this picture, this, this, our mind wrapped around the works of the enemy versus the works of God and the time frame of that and how all of that played in because we remember, you're probably like me, you remember how in Luke chapter 10, I believe it's verse 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning out of heaven. Now Jesus said that then, and now we read this now. And to be honest with you, the very first time I read this, maybe even the second, third, and fourth time that I read this, I got really confused because I didn't know if this was talking about the previous event that Jesus was talking about uh, in Luke chapter 10, or is it talking about some future sign, some future thing that John is going to see or John saw that is going to happen? Um, and, and the best way that I can explain it is, is it's kind of both, all right? Now, here's what I mean by kind of both. It is what I think literally going to happen. It is a future event that is going to happen about the middle way point of the tribulation period because from that point on we're going to see a great tribulation and we're going to see God's incredibly powerful wrath poured out on the earth. Now why would God pour out his his wrath upon the earth except for the reason of the enemy being raging and 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 trying to take over the earth? That's the reason why God is going to pour out his, his, his last of the wrath that he has saved up for the worst of the times, for the worst of the worst of the seasons, known as the Great Tribulation. All right, so while, yes, I really believe that this is a future event, at least everything that, that my studies have shown me, uh, I believe that this is a, an event that will happen in about the midway point of this, this tribulation period, how there is literally going to be a, a, a war breakout in heaven where the angels of the enemy, the angels of Satan, the angels and, his, and the red dragon, it says, is going to break out a war in heaven. And Michael, which by tradition is, is an archangel of, of the warring angels, and they're going to lead, he's going to lead angels in fighting for um, for the, the sake of, of God and God's kingdom against the sake of Satan and his kingdom and this war is literally going to break out in heaven. So now we pick back up with, well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus said he was already kicked out of heaven or he'd already fallen. And the best way I can explain this is this is why I said maybe kind of 
a little touch of both, more so with the reality, but also it is, um, it is definitely in Scripture proven that Satan has already fallen out of heaven once, okay? Um, Apostle Paul says it this way, that he was caught up into the third heaven or the third realm of heaven, third realm of glory, and we know that most likely to mean that that we have an atmosphere, which could be called the heavens. Then we have that between our atmosphere and there's a second heaven between our atmosphere and God's heaven and the throne room of God and the place in which God resides. So we have that, that atmosphere between. that We have our atmosphere, we got the heavens between, and then we have the third level of heaven, which is where God's throne is, okay? So most likely what we're talking about, and if you go back and you read, um, make sure I get this right, if you go back and you read Luke chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 14, and Ezekiel chapter 28, all right, we're actually going to read these tonight at church Bible study, at live Bible study. I don't have time to do that here in this recording. Homework, there you go, read your home, get, get some homework, write it down, read it for yourself, um, there are some, some, some things that's going to point to the, the fact that Satan has already been kicked out. Now, that meaning this, try to explain this as clear as, as possible, clearly as possible, that Satan at one time we know of um, by scripture and by tradition that he was part of the angelic beings in heaven right beside God for a time, season, whatever that was. Uh, we, nobody knows that except for God himself, maybe. But, um, but for a time, he was there, okay? We know um, that most likely because of what it says in Ezekiel, what it says in, in Isaiah, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, that he was a beautiful being, and he was in charge of worship, or at least what he did when he did play uh, the timbrel there and the pipes there, as, as Ezekiel says, that um, that there was beauty that came from that, that there was even a covering that came from that, and there was beauty with that, beauty with him as he walked and as he did what he was in charge to do there in heaven, and that at some point in time he began to try to elevate himself. Isaiah 14 says he tried to make his throne be set up above the, the stars of the heavens, which also means that at some point in time, he tried to basically build his own throne as if he could sit beside God and be like God himself. And we know that at that point in time that God had cast him out, as Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, that God had cast him out. But, but when he cast him out, it means that he cast him out of that highest level of heaven, most likely to the second level of heaven, or maybe even somewhere around the, our heaven, our atmosphere, and that middle ground. So basically, just wrap your head around this. He was cast out of the highest heaven, and he was brought down lower to be between us and God. There was that expanse and that, that, that space between the earth and the heavens of the heavens, God's throne, and that's where Satan dwelled. 
We know that probably also because of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul himself calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. All right. He also says in Ephesians a couple of times that there is a power and a principality in high places, in heavenly places, that we are to wage war. In fact, the church itself is called to war in those heavenly places, those higher places. Okay, now that is significant. That's significant that God cast him down to be below him, but yet kind of also in a position where he could be a buffer between the work of God and the work of God here on earth to oppose what God is doing. Now, before you start scratching your head and saying, well, wait, why would God do that? Because God has a plan. And in his plan, he chose to allow the enemy to be there for the main reason of showing the power and the glory of God that it is the most powerful thing that, that we could ever know. Some people may say, that that is the point of the stars being placed in the darkest of night. That is the point of Jesus resurrecting from what we think of as the worst of the worst, and that is death. And Jesus shows us that, no, I have power. He has power over that death as he's been resurrected and raised to life to sit at the right-hand side of God. All right, we know that the enemy is not, he's not placed in a hell that we think of yet. I know, I know that blows a lot of, of, of theories and, and uh, little cartoon bubbles we have in our head where we see Satan with his pitchfork and his horns and his, his tail and the bottom part of him looks like a, a goat and the upper part is some, some red being that sort of resembles a man and and um, he sits on his throne and he's down there in hell, like that's his own little kingdom. Um, that is actually not quite there yet, okay? He will be cast into hell. That's coming. Stay tuned. That's coming at the end of the book of Revelation. But right now, he's actually, he's actually moving around and has, has an authority and a power there between earth and and God's throne. And we see that multiple times in Scripture, that he's not bound yet to what we call hell yet. He's not bound there yet, that he is actually running amok right now uh, in, in trying to do it in your mind, in your heart, in your life. He's trying to do it in the world to a certain extent even now, okay? Um, in fact, we read multiple times in Scripture uh, in the book of Genesis, where Satan comes and he's not bound and he's, he's able to be the old serpent and he gets Adam and Eve to not believe the word of God. He deceives them. Uh, we read about it in the book of Job. There at the very first of Job where God is, is talking with his people in heaven and his, his group in heaven and then Satan enters in and then that's where Job's name is brought up. We know that uh, in the book of Zechariah chapter 3, we see how there's a high priest named Joshua who has a, he wants to be, or he, he's wanting to be a good high priest, but yet his rags and his garments are filthy, 
And um, it says that Satan, being the accuser of the brethren, stands at his right-hand side to accuse him before God. And um, then God then, of course, miraculously moves in a way where instead of the enemy being at the right-hand side, now all of a sudden God's power comes and cleanses him. And Jesus, in essence, stands at the right-hand side, which we know happens later in um, the reign of Christ that, that we see as he ascends into heaven. All right, so we see multiple times, multiple times where Satan tries to do certain things to buffer the work of God. I'm reminded of Daniel in the book of Daniel, um, maybe chapter 10, I think, maybe 10, chapter 14, somewhere in there, where uh, Daniel has been praying and as his prayer has gone up to heaven and it has been heard, there's an angel that says that I was held up for three days. I was held up for a time um, during um, your prayers. I was held up even though you were heard. But he says that I was buffeted. I was, I was opposed by some, some what he called the Prince of Persia, which we know of represents Satan or the angel, uh, some kind of fallen angel has buffered this angel from giving Daniel strength and wisdom at a time in which Daniel needed it. But here's the good news, okay? Here's the good news. In every case, Satan did not prevail, okay? In, in all of those cases, God had a plan and he worked it out. In everything that was going on, God moved, God blessed, God healed, God cleansed, God redeemed. God moved in powerful ways in every situation, even in this situation where we read that, um, that even in this war going on in, in the heavens, which I believe is a final war in heaven right before the battle of Armageddon, as if to say, God, God is saying, no more, Satan, do you have any authority here, even in the realm that you've had authority. I'm casting you to the earth, and I'm doing so for the reason of being positioning you to receive my wrath. And let's, let's read on. Let's see how God deals with this, okay? Uh, chapter 12, verse 10 and then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies. It's our very famous passage of scripture there that us as believers hold on to and it says and they did not love their lives unto death therefore rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time now I want to pick back up with that in just a minute, but just know this and take a moment to rejoice in the fact that Satan has been cast out of heaven and that he's cast out and all of those who have been believing and holding on to the fact that the blood of the lamb has washed them clean and 
and the, the word of their testimony of, of what Jesus has done for them and who Jesus has made them to be has, has moved Satan out of the position of being the accuser and cast him down to a place where he's going to receive this wrath of God. And he knows it's he knows he has just a short time to to, to do his work, and so he's pouring out his wrath on the earth. And because of that, we have this third woe beginning to take place. As it's beginning to take place, it's going to take place on the earth because he's pouring out his wrath on the inhabitants of the earth. He's trying to pour his wrath out on Israel. That's why they're being protected in the wilderness. He's pouring his wrath out. In fact, from here, we're going to see a, a not only a mighty move of God, but a, a big move of Satan to not just empower the Antichrist, but embody him in a way where he's going to set up a throne where he can become God of this earth and he's going to put a mark called the mark of the beast on people. This is coming after what we're about what we what we're reading today. And so with this, he is though going to do everything he can to pour out his wrath. And as he tries to pour out his wrath, or excuse me, as he is pouring out his wrath on earth, this is where we see God positioning himself to say Get ready, earth. The last and final of the woes is happening, which opens up, uh, this opens up the gate for the last of God's wrath being in the section of the seven bowls or seven vials about to pour out on earth. Okay? We're going to come back to the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony in just a second. But let's read on so we can finish this up. Chapter thirteen, or chapter twelve, verse thirteen says, "Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, being Israel. But the woman was given two wings. There's those two wings. That was the flying I was talking about earlier, of a great eagle. They that wait upon the Lord, right, that she might fly into the wilderness." Matthew 24, 15 through 28, Jesus says a couple of times, flee and that your flight would not be during a time in the season of uh, the fall or winter or in um, the Sabbath. So Jesus is speaking of this time in Matthew chapter 24 as well. But as they fly, they're given this supernatural power, which I think ties back maybe to Isaiah where he says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. That she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. He keeps trying, but good news, guys. See the glory of God in the midst of this darkness. Look what happens. As he tries to overcome them, God has a working and has a plan. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And this enraged the dragon. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring 
who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here we have this, this cosmic wrestling match that is going on in the heavenlies. And God is taking his authority and he's exercising, he's flexing his holy muscles against the accuser of the brethren, against the old serpent, against the devil, against Satan, against the fiery dragon, all the being the same person and all of his angels who is giving it their best to undermine the work in the kingdom of God. And God keeps him in a position to receive the wrath of God, and he keeps him in a position where the enemy cannot fully persecute God's people, that the God's people are overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, that God's people are rising up and God's people are being the people of God no matter what accusation has come against them. God's, God's word and his will and his way is moving forward through the power of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And with that, is, it is also saying that the people do not love their lives unto death, which is a fancy way of saying that they're not going to recant their faith and their belief in Jesus Christ, that they're holding on to it no matter what may come, no matter what may fall, no matter what happens in the earth, no matter what's going on, they're going to firmly believe in the testimony of Jesus Christ and how his blood has washed them clean, how his blood has set them right, how his blood has given them a righteousness that cannot be taken away by no matter how big the power or the opposition may feel like it is at times. And I know that there are days in your life when you feel like you lost that day, you lost that battle. But this is why the scripture gives us a promise that his mercy is new every single morning. And in that, in that new day, in that new mercy, we believe that it is the day that he has made and we will rejoice and we will be glad in it and we will stand on the foundation that was that was laid before us where the Lamb of God was slain before the world was ever created. And we stand there in worship with the angels that are still there in heaven, which is a multitude and a number more so than the enemy's angels. And we stand there realizing that more is for us than could ever be against us. We stand there and we worship and we sing holy, 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 O Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, who knows the end from the beginning, that just as he was cast out, just as Satan was cast out already once from the throne room and the heavens that God sits in, he will be cast out again, and he knows his fate. He can rage and he can wrath all he wants to, but we have a promise that God is faithful always faithful, even in times where we feel like we are losing the battle. May I remind you, the battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. I love how in the middle of this scripture, 
Even though I do believe he has positioned some of us to be to have a warrior spirit, I think that warrior spirit, kind of like David, also comes from a heart of being a worshiper. And I think that that is the biggest key and the biggest weapon that we have is our is our sold out worship unto the living God. That we war with our worship and we war with our prayers. That as this war is going on, Bible also says that the prayers of the saints are rising up to God. As if our worship and our prayers are rising up as part of the angels move out to take, this, to take on this war. We step in place and we rise with praise and we rise with prayer and we rise with worship and we fill the temple with the incense of our prayers and our worship from, from our hearts and from our souls, from the love that we have for God. And that through our testimony and through the blood of the Lamb, we are overcoming even today. And I know that some of you may feel like you, you feel like you're on a roller coaster ride where sometimes you feel victorious and sometimes you feel like you're being defeated. And then sometimes you feel victorious and sometimes you feel like you're being defeated. And what I want to do is encourage you today encourage you to put on the helmet of salvation and to think through the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony of what God has already done in your life. He is not finished with you and he is moving in you and he has, he has a plan still for you that he is going before you to work it out because he loves you so dearly. I want to read to you something that Charles Spurgeon said in one of his sermons in 1888. It says that our Lord was not only bruised and struck, but he was put to death. His heart's blood was made to flow. He of whom we speak was God over all, blessed forever. But he condescended himself to take on our manhood into union with his Godhead in a mysterious manner. The death of Christ is the death of sin and the defeat of Satan. And hence it is the life of our hope and the assurance of his victory. The blood of the Lamb is a real cleansing which really purges away our sin. This we believe and this we declare and by this sign we will conquer. Christ crucified. Christ is the sacrifice for our sin. Christ is the effective redeemer of all men. We will proclaim everywhere and so put to rout the powers of darkness that Jesus paid the dreadful debt of all his, for all of his elect and made a full atonement for the whole mass of iniquities of those that shall believe in him. By it removing the whole tremendous load and the casting and casting it off by one lifting of a pierced hand and throwing it into the depths of the sea. The Lord Jesus Christ went up to Calvary and there fought with the prince of darkness, utterly defeated him and destroyed his power. He led captives captive. The bru he bruised the serpent's head and the victory was the victory of all who are in Christ Jesus. 
For he is the representative seed of the woman, and you who are of that seed are in Christ, and you are actually and practically then and there overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb. Charles Spurgeon says something that we all need to remember, that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I'm reminded of, of a story I heard about a little boy. And this little boy had done, had become a young man. And as this little boy was growing up, he so wanted to please his father, so wanted to do everything he could to be what his father wanted him to be. And as he became a young man, and more choices were laid before him, greater responsibilities and more opportunities before him, he found himself making a lot of mistakes and a lot of poor choices. And it led him away from his father and led him to, to live a lifestyle that his father would not be pleased in. But at, at a certain time, he arose from being in the proverbial pig slop and lifted his head higher than the mud in which he was laying and decided that if he could just go back to his father and ask for forgiveness, then maybe his father would help him and reinstate him and give him what he needed. So as he gets up and he goes back to his father, as he meets with his father and his father is overjoyed in seeing him come back and wraps his arms around him and loves him and picks him up and even puts his cloak and his covering over him and covers the mud and the muck and the, the, the body odor and the, the horrible stains that sin had left on his body, the scars, the, the effects of sin and covers him up and, and, and looks at him and holds him in front of him as if to say son I am here and you are here and you are forgiven you are reinstated that I am yours and you are mine and the son who refuses to look up at his father for shame and for just just feeling the weight of that sin that he has done previously in his life he wants so badly to pour out on his father all that he had done. But he cannot look up to his father for the shame that is in his heart and in his mind. And as the father is, 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 hold, is looking at him and, and, and trying to get him to, to, to fully embrace this moment... The son says, says, Dad, but I have something to tell you and I've, I've been so wrong and I've messed up so many times and tears are flowing down his cheeks and turning into mud puddles on his cheeks and streaks down his clothes. His, his dad takes his hands and puts his hands on the head of his son and says, Look at me, son. Look at me. And the son cannot do it for he is so full of shame that he, he dips his head even further down and more tears running down his cheeks. 
And he says, but, but dad, but father, I cannot look at you. I cannot look at you for all that I have been and for all of my mistakes and all of my mess ups and all that I used to be, all that I had done in the past. I cannot look at you. And the father firmly takes his hands and puts them on each side of his face and lifts his face so that he can have eye contact with his newly redeemed and newly forgiven son. And he looks at his son eye to eye and says to him, Oh, but son, what you don't understand is, is that is not who you are anymore. You right now are covered by my glory and you right now are, are covered by the insignia of my bloodline as I put my ring upon you. You right now are redeemed and forgiven and all of those things you've done in the past, they are not your things anymore. They have been given to me and I've washed them clean. And You are not that person that you used to be. You you are new. You are born again into my kingdom. Come and enjoy. Look at me in the eye. See my favor is upon you. And I raise you into a right standing relationship with me once again. You are mine and I am yours. You're not owned by what you did. You're not owned by who you used to be. You're not owned by the work of the accuser of the brethren. You're not owned by the opposition. You're not owned by the mistakes. You are purchased with a price, and it's the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. God is yours, and you are his, and forevermore you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And now speak the word of those testimonies as the accuser of the brethren would try to work against you and oppose the work of God in your life. Speak the word. Speak the words that say, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what could make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me as white as snow. For no other fount I know, but nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the last two verses and stanzas of Robert Lowry's song published in 1876 says this, Now by this I'll overcome nothing but the blood of Jesus. And now by this I'll reach my home nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory, this I sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All my praise for this I bring. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lamb of God who purchased me with the greatest price imaginable. The most expensive thing in all of the heavens. The blood of the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And I give him praise because one day he took my face, who did not deserve his glory or his favor, and he raised me and looked me eye to eye and said, that's not who you are anymore. And forever, I will overcome forever. I will live with him 
as I've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm going to ask you something, and I ask this with every fiber of my heart. Have you come? Have you come to God and ask Him to wash you by the blood of the Lamb? There is no other cleansing. There's no way to reinstate a broken life except by a perfect broken life that was broken for you. Broken but yet came back to life so that the heart that was beating and flowed on Calvary's hill still flows in the throne room of heaven for you and for me. If you have never fully come under the blood of Jesus and believed in him to wash away your sins and to give him your heart of repentance that says, God, I need you now, then I pray that you not wait another moment. You not wait another second. It's too precious. The love is too great. You're missing out on a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. I'm going to ask you, maybe maybe you have come to know Him as your Savior, but you feel like you have been defeated so many days and times since then. I don't want you to listen to the lies of the enemy not one more time. And every time that the enemy says that in your ear and whispers it in your ear, at the top of your lungs, you shout and you sing praise to the blood of the Lamb. And you give him a word of your testimony. His days are numbered. He's being defeated. He is, be he is below the feet of the enemy. Uh, he's below the feet of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants talked with his disciples, and I say this in closing. Jesus Christ had a, had a moment with his disciples that was a precious moment. In this precious moment found in the Gospels, Jesus gives them power over unclean spirits to go into the streets and into the towns and, and to preach the Gospel, the good news, and to heal the sick. And as they do that, they see wondrous things happen and miracles happen. And they return back to Jesus and they're overjoyed because the Bible says because he gave them authority, they said they see that they can, they can overcome the works of the evil spirits. They can overcome the work of the enemy. Basically, it's saying for those that the enemy is keeping sick, they can come in and by the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, they can, they can override him and they can overcome him. And the sick can be made well. And Jesus looks at them with a very big smile on his face. And I know he says that because the Bible says after he says this, he was overjoyed in his spirit. He looks at them with a big smile on his face and says, Oh, that's not the greatest reason to rejoice. The greatest reason to rejoice is that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. And the Bible says at that, he rejoices in the Spirit. That I know maybe there are times you feel sick and you don't feel like an overcomer. 
sick with anxiety or worry or depression or doubt or fear or sin or whatever it is. But God has given you authority right now, today, over the unclean spirit, over the enemy and the works of the enemy. He's given you authority right now and that authority comes through the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Let's give God some praise as we close in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you and we worship you. It is by your blood and by the work of your Lamb, it is by you, Jesus Christ, that I have hope and I have life and I have that eternally. Father, I pray if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that needs to know you as Savior, needs to come to you with their full heart, maybe they're playing the, the religious game where they know you just enough to get by. I pray, Holy Spirit, you pull them in, not for a handshake from the Father, not for a high five from the Father, but for an embrace fully and completely by our Heavenly Father. I pray that they know you with all their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength. And I pray, Lord God, that you move in their heart miraculously. And for those that feel like one step forward and two steps back, and for those that feel like they are, are on a roller coaster ride of winning and losing and winning and losing, I pray, Lord, that you give them a consistent, strong, stable, sturdy, praise and worship in the midst of darkness, in the darkest of times that say that you are overcoming the enemy, that the battle is yours, Jesus, not ours. So I pray that, on, that you would move on behalf of the kingdom of God in their life in a miraculous way. Holy Spirit, do your amazing work. Holy Spirit, don't, don't, just, don't, don't just knock on the door of their heart. Come in, bust in, convict them, pour your love out upon them. And at the moment they repent, at the moment they bring to you all of their heart, I pray you baptize them and fill them with your precious power and Holy Spirit in such a way that they will know by that sign they are an overcomer. Lord, I pray all of these things in the incredible name of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And if you love him, say amen and give him a praise. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. We love you. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you. Have a good rest of your day, your night, your week. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.